Well, if you've been following along, and I hope you have, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. I know Casey put something on uh, her blog and page that you, you feel like you really got to know Paul better, and you're almost like, golly, we hate to say goodbye to Paul. Well, the good news is um, <clears throat> we won't see as much of Paul directly, but we see his writings coming in the future. And I want to um, just encourage you as we go into Romans, I'm not going there much today at all, but as we do look into Romans, one of the most powerful books, some of the most powerful writings, not just in the Bible, but ever in the history of literature. It's one of the most amazing, amazing books. Amen, Kathy, you and me. If you can read through, study, and you may not get it all the first time, but if you want to understand what Christ did for us in a, in a more full and complete way, Study the book of Romans to get an understanding of us as sinners and our state as sinners and our separation from God and then the grace of God, the grace of God that he poured out on us through Christ that we receive by faith. It's, it's amazing. So I'm looking forward to getting into that in the weeks to come this summer. This morning, the title of my message, though, I'm going to kind of go back a few chapters a little tiny bit, and then we're going to come to the conclusion of the book of Acts. But the title of my message this morning is Shipwrecked Faith versus Faith That Overcomes. There are things that happen in our lives if we live long enough that will come to that place where our faith feels like it's on the rocks. The ship is headed for the reef, at least. And there is a potential there for our faith to truly be shipwrecked. And I want to encourage you, don't ever think, don't ever think that your faith is so strong that it cannot be challenged in such a way. Because it will be. And it can be. And that's not to put fear in our hearts. That's just to understand that we need to continually, continually rely on the Lord. We need to continually be reminded of who we are in Christ and what He has for us, and what He's done for us. How we became children of God. How we became His kids that can stand on all the promises of His words. Is you know, As we continually remind ourselves of that, and one of the very best ways to do that is to be in the Word, and to be in prayer. But as we continue to remind ourselves of that, we are continually strengthening our faith. There are trials and tests, and some of them come from the Lord. They're not all from the enemy. When they come from the enemy, they're to destroy us. When they come from the Lord, they're to build our faith and strengthen our faith for what He has for us in the days ahead. So this morning, we're going to look at shipwrecked faith versus faith that overcomes. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, there's not a much better case study to look at someone whose faith could have and should have, and I'm sure was, challenged in more ways than we can hardly imagine and more ways than I hope I ever experience. And it wasn't shipwrecked. He was an overcomer by faith. I'd like you to put the map up there of his third journey, and we're going to be beyond his third journey, but it's helpful to, to kind of get an idea where we're at in Paul's travels. If you recall, Paul went on three, primarily three missionary journeys, and then his fourth journey was to Rome. And with his missionary journeys, we are going to be looking over here near Jerusalem, just north of Jerusalem, at Tyre, or Tyre, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But 
we're going to take a, just a quick look back to see where and how Paul gets finally to the trip to Rome. Because one of the things that was promised him and spoken to him so many times was, Paul, you've got to go to Rome. And when you think about Paul's calling, even though he was this Jew amongst Jews, his primary calling was not to ignore the Jews, but to focus on the Gentiles. And what better place to focus on the Gentiles than what would be the capital of the Gentile world, really, at that time, would have been Rome. Paul is on his third missionary journey, and actually when we were going to pick up the story, he's over here in Miletus. He's on his way back, and he's headed to Jerusalem. And just as a point of interest, when he was over here at Corinth, that is when he sent the book, wrote the letter that we call the Book of Romans. And he had sent this already to the church. So the church had received a letter from him. So he's at Miletus and he's heading back. And while he's at Miletus, if you notice, just whoops, go back. That's okay, I'd like you to be quick. He's at Miletus. One of his churches that he'd spent a lot of time with was there in Ephesus. And he didn't want to go back up to Ephesus, but Paul knew he wasn't going to ever see those people again that he'd spent years with teaching and raising up and planning a church. So he, he sent a message to the leadership, the elders of Ephesus, and told them to come down to Miletus, and he wanted to talk with them. He wanted to visit with them. And one of the things he wanted to tell them was, you're not going to see my face again, which was obviously disheartening to the church. And when he came to them, one of the primary messages he has, and it's a message that's so relevant still today, the message was this, I'm not going to be there anymore. And I want to caution you and warn you. Wolves are going to come. And they're going to come to try to destroy the church. And there would also be those that would come from within the church that are going to rise up and they're going to try to teach, and his word was, perverse things. And the goal would be to bring disunity. So he's warning the church, and it's a warning for the church today. There are always wolves from the outside that the enemy would like to use. And there are times will be people will re- be raised up from within the church, usually with well-intentioned, good intentions, uh, but not God intentions. And the goal is always of the enemy to bring disunity and strife into the church. And if you know anything about church history and even recent years, division and strife in the church is unbelievably common churches split over the most ridiculous things we are so quick to pick up offense and to give offense but we need to guard our hearts continually and this is what paul is warning the church in ephesus about they're going to come after i leave and he also is there to 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 tell them again i'm going to jerusalem he has got a laser focus right now he's going back to jerusalem It might not seem like a big deal, but his time in Jerusalem in recent history had not been good. Every time he'd go to Jerusalem, he would speak or share. Sometimes he'd go to the the temple. Uh, He'd usually end up in front of the council or the Sanhedrin, and usually he'd end up running for his life because because they were going to try to kill him or stone him or scourge him or arrest him. Something bad had been happening in Jerusalem. And it was really, Paul, why are you going there? But in Acts 20, verses 22 to 24, And it says this, and he's talking to the people of the leaders of Ephesus or they visited him. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit. And it's important for us to understand that there is the Holy Spirit that is compelling Paul. He is to go. And it's code, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me when I get there. 
I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He is being compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but he probably has a a halfway good idea because every time he's been there, it's not been good recently. And he says, but the only thing I do know is the Holy Spirit warns me before I even get there. Think about this. Before I get there, the Holy Spirit warns me, here's what's going to come. Hardships, imprisonment, all it's waiting for you. You and I may go, Holy Spirit, what are you thinking? Thank you for the warning. I will go the other way. But he's being compelled by the Spirit to really basically walk into the fire. And guess what he does? He walks into the fire. And he sails from Miletus, jump back. I can't remember if I have another run in there. Let's go back to the map, please. Pretty please, thank you. He sails from Miletus, and he's going all the way to Tyre. And when he gets there, it says he visits some of the disciples. Now we can jump back to Acts 21. How you doing, Olivia? It says he visits some disciples for a week. He stays there for seven days. After looking up the disciples, we stayed, and I want to just point out we, and I don't want to keep reminding you that, but I think it's so cool when you read through this. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he's an eyewitness to most of the, not all of this now. When he's saying we, it's him. He is there with Paul. And as he goes through all these things with Paul, we're going to see he's with him on the ship when he goes back to Rome. He's there. So he is an eyewitness. We are getting an eyewitness account of the end of the book of Acts from Luke. And he writes, After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. It seems a little confusing. The Holy Spirit's compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem, and here we read, they're being compelled by the Holy Spirit to tell, don't go. Don't go. How many of you think Paul would violate what the Holy Spirit says? Good. None of us. I believe, and we'll see this repeated a number of times, I believe the only way I can understand those scriptures is the, they may be getting from the Spirit what Paul is going to be facing as dangers, and then human interpretation is stepping in. Just like it might easily happen for us. If one of you came to me and said, you know, I feel like the Lord's called us and we're going to go be uh, disciples in North Minneapolis. We're going to go be missionaries there. And we'd say, well, let's pray about that. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, you know, if you go, your kids are going to get hurt, physically hurt. And I believe the Lord showed me that there could even be a death. What would be my natural inclination with a word like that? Don't go. God is showing me that if you go, this is what's going to happen. I believe that's what we see repeating, and we're going to see this repeated. Paul is being compelled by the Holy Spirit. Paul hears the Holy Spirit, and we see people saying, whatever you do, don't go. Prophets come to him and say, here's what's going to happen. But you'll notice when the prophet speaks that, they don't say, don't go. They just say, here's what's coming. Other people hear these words, and they say, don't go. 
So I believe that the only way I can understand that scripture is to think that the human interpretation was getting into what the Spirit was showing the people. Paul is going to go there, and it's not going to be good. So Paul travels from Tyre down to Caesarea, and there he visits Philip, the evangelist. Remember Philip? And I like to use my imagination to, I guess maybe it is to humor me when I read the stories, but I kind of think in my mind, God, can you imagine Philip? This was one of the, one of the, the uh, deacons that were set in. This is Philip who met the Ethiopian eunuch. This is Philip who, after he got through ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, went poof, and he was over in another city. And I like to imagine Philip, Philip and Paul sitting around the meal with Philip's four daughters who are all prophetesses, by the way. And say, God, that was so cool, Paul. Have you experienced anything like this in your travels? One day I was here by a river with this, Philly, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, and the next moment I'm in this city. I was like, cool, God, at least you took me in the right direction. I went to, closer to Caesarea, and he had evidently had set up his home there, and we see that earlier in the book of Acts. So he spends time with, with Paul, and while he's there, while he's there, a prophet named Agabus comes down from Judea to, to the house of Philip, and he's got a word for Paul. How many of you love it when you get a word from a prophet? I do. I'm not sure I'd want this one. But Paul gets a word, and it's in Acts 21. And again, we. Notice, as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Good word. Then Luke writes, when we heard this, we we, as well as all the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. I think, once again, when you look at the word that the prophet brought, it was just a word of warning informing him. Here's what's coming, Paul. And the people that heard the word, like you and I, would naturally allow our human interpretation to come in and say, whatever you do, don't go. But Paul heard the voice of the Lord. Paul knew what he was called to do. There are so many lessons from Paul that we can learn. Paul's on this mission. He knows what's coming, and everywhere he goes, he's getting encouragement to go the other way. You receive a call from the Lord to go do something and you start sharing it with people, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to run into the naysayers and say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Why would you go do that? Don't go. Please don't go. And most of the time, it's going to come from good-hearted people. That's why it's so important we hear the Lord for ourselves. Yes, we want to get godly counsel from brothers and sisters in Christ. But we need to hear the Lord for ourselves because people with the best of intentions who might love us dearly may not inform us, may not encourage us according to what the Lord would have us to do. And that's what Paul is running into. Paul continues to Jerusalem, and guess what? Trouble comes. And where does it come from again? The Jewish people, the religious people. 
the Jewish leaders. The Roman soldiers have to intervene, and they, as they do many different times. And the Roman soldiers, in this case, the commander decided, you know, we're not figuring out what's going on here, so we'll just scourge Paul. Now, why not scourge the ones that are trying to accuse you? But they would, we'll, we'll scourge Paul, we'll whip him, we'll beat him to see if we can't figure out what's happening here. All part of a plan that God is going to use to accomplish his purpose and eventually getting Paul to Rome. So what happens? This is where Paul reveals his Roman citizenship for the first time. I am a citizen of Rome. Since when do we take and whip a Roman citizen who's being accused without a proper trial and a proper hearing and judgment being given? We don't do that. Well, of course, they're like, whoa, thank you for saying that because if we'd have scourged a Roman citizen, they'd have been in big trouble. So eventually they release him and he goes to the Jewish Sanhedrin to share the good news of Jesus again. Obviously, it wasn't received again. Matter of fact, as you read through this, you'll see that it says the Roman commander was afraid that Paul was going to be torn to pieces by the people because there was such dissension arising. So this time, they, they take Paul, the commander and his military. They have to go and get him and take him back to the barracks. Their barracks, by force, they, they take him. And then Paul reveals something else. It's confirmed in Acts 23, verses, verse 11. On that very night, or but on the night immediately following, it says, the Lord stood at his side and said, the Lord stood at his side. That, that alone causes me to think. That sounds like a physical manifestation to me. The Lord stood at his side and says, take courage. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. When you look at that, take good courage. Paul needed to be encouraged. He's human. He knows what he's going to be enduring. He's he's being rescued from being killed by the Jews on a regular basis. He's been stoned. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He knows It takes courage. He's a human being just like us. So the Lord first encourages him. And I think probably the most encouraging thing would be there for Paul, especially with his mindset, is Paul, take courage. I've got more for you to do. I've got more for you to do. No matter what you're facing right now, if you're still here on planet Earth, God has more for you to do. He's not done with you yet. If he was, he would take you home. So he's saying to Paul, don't worry, you're going to Rome because I've got more for you to do. So it's clear. But because of the plots against Paul's life, and as you read the story, you'll see there's people committing 40 different guys come, and we make a vow, we're not going to rest, we're not going to eat, we're not going to sleep, we're not going to do anything until we kill this guy. They were really strongly opposed to Paul, the religious leaders, the Jews. So they take him and they take like 200 horsemen and they take him to Caesarea. We got to get him out of town. So they head back to Caesarea with Paul. And while he's in Caesarea, he remains there for two years. Basically, he's sort of under house arrest, but he's got freedoms and liberties. But for two years, he's there. 
And as you read the story, it's amazing. What, what could God possibly want him to be stuck in Caesarea for two years for? Well, while he was there, he spoke to two governors. He was there for so long that the first governor was replaced by the second governor. So he talks both to Felix and Festus. He has the privilege of sharing the gospel and the story of Jesus to political leaders. And even after that, there comes the king Agrippa. So he spoke to the governors. Now he stands before Agrippa. And and if you want to read about a smooth-talking presentation, oh, King Agrippa, I am so glad I get to finally share with you because you understand. You know. Somewhere in his message, Agrippa looks at him, geez, Paul, I may even get saved here if I keep listening to you. But there's things that are learned there by all of us. God has purposes. He will use, even if it's not his, him causing something to happen, and if it's, even if it's the devil causing it to happen, he will take what the devil intends for evil, and he will use it for his good for those of us who believe. And we can see it. I don't know when all this is happening in Paul's life. Part of me doesn't want to think it's the Lord causing any of it to happen. Part of me wants to blame the devil for everything. But I don't know. But the reality is it doesn't really matter because God uses everything that takes place for his good, for his glory. He gets to talk to the governors, and he gets to talk to King Agrippa. And his call to Rome is nothing but confirmed. And he gets finally, in this whole process along the way, one of the governors says to him, Paul, because the governor was kind of wanting to please the Jewish people, the religious leaders, they were causing a stink. He says, would you be willing to go back to Jerusalem and be judged? And he says, no, as a Roman citizen, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And there the deal is sealed. He's going to Rome. He's going to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. Matter of fact, King Agrippa says, you know, if he hadn't appealed to Rome, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He's not guilty of anything. We could let him go free. But because he's appealed to Rome, just as God intended for him to go, he goes to Rome. And there's a long section of Scripture in Acts 26, verses 14 through 22. And I will read it, I guess. And when he had fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me, and he's explaining to Agrippa what happened to him when he got saved. Saul, Saul, while you're persecuting me, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. The Lord's speaking to you. I've got a job for you to do. Get up off the ground. Get on your feet and get ready to go. Maybe we could learn from that too. I haven't appointed you to minister, a minister and a witness, not only to the thing which you have seen, but also to the things which will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from dominance of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. The the gospel message. There is only one way for us to get saved. And this was Paul's message. And you know what he says? I'm calling people to repentance, to the one true God, to the one who can save you, Jesus, his only son. Any other religion that points you in another direction, is leading you down the wrong path. Are they good people? Yeah, they might be. But the truth of the Word of God is, there's only one way. It's through Jesus. And he is declaring this, and he says, you know why I'm getting persecuted everywhere I go? It's for the message of repentance and forgiveness through the resurrected Jesus Christ. The message. That's the same message you and I have been called to carry. 
Paul says, I am a servant of the message. When Jesus saved us, when God saved us, we become servants of the message. It's not our job to enhance the message. It's not our job to to change the message and make it more desirable. It's our job to serve the message and be witnesses to what we know is true. And sometimes that makes us uncomfortable because we will run into hostile people just like Paul did who do not want to hear the message. Good people. But as soon as you start teaching and sharing the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sin through Jesus, the only Son of God, who died on a cross in my place, you will see resistance rise up oftentimes, even in the best of people. But that's the message you and I are called to serve. That's the message Paul served. He had to get up, minister the message. So he sent to Rome. And by the time he sent to Rome, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you hope that God's called you to Rome, he's told you to go to Rome, he's rescued you from all these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, time and time again, and now you're ready to go to Rome. Finally, everything should go smoothly. I am in the will of God. I'm going to Rome. Boy, if you've read the story, you know that isn't the way it worked. Very quickly, would you put up the map? I think it's the next one. I hope you can see some of it anyway. And I'm just going to zip through a lot of this. But he's over here in Caesarea, heads up to Sidon. And then it starts telling you, you know, it looks like from Sidon, we're heading to Mira over here. Nice straight shot. But because the winds are so bad from the northeast, a nor'easter, we have to go this way behind the island of Cyprus. And it says, oh, it was a tough trip. The wind was blowing. It took away longer than it should. And we'd think, okay, well, you finally got there. So now they're going up to Nidus. And they're trying to get here, and it looks like it should just be a quick little ride. They don't get there. The winds are so strong. They're so powerful that they head down this way, and they're trying to get over here to Fair Haven. And they're going under past this Cape Salomone. They're trying to get past there. They get past there, and finally they get to Fair Haven near that city of Lycia. And it has already been a torturous trip. Everything is going wrong that could go wrong. In Acts 27, verse 9, it says, When considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous since even the fast was already over. All that means is one of their religious fasts, probably in October, was over. It's time for the boats to get off the sea. You don't go for three months. They just didn't ship because the seas were so dangerous. Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage, great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion who was with them, persuaded by the pilot, was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what Paul was saying. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering at Fair Haven, the majority reached the decision to put out to sea if somehow they might be able to reach Phoenix and harbor a harbor of Crete that faces southwest and northwest, and then we could spend the winter there. Besides that, it was a bigger city, more to do for the three months of winter. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete's close inshore. Could you go back to that map, please? They're here at Fair Havens. They want to get it right there to Phoenix. 
That's all of where they want to go. A bigger harbor, a bigger city, more for the sailors to be entertained with. They thought we could get there, we'll be good. They couldn't even get from right there to there. They end up going out here behind the island of Kauda. And they get out here in the winds. And it says a wind, and our translation of the wind would be a northeaster comes up. A wind coming from up here, from the northeast, blowing against them. It comes up while they're here at Fair Haven. Lessons to be learned from Paul. Paul tells them this is what's going to happen. We don't want to go. But guess what? The centurion goes to the pilot of the ship. He goes to the captain of the ship. And it says the majority persuaded him. The majority persuaded him. Sometimes we go to enough people. We're going to find out enough people that disagree with what the Lord wants us to do. And the majority will persuade you. You will have to sometimes swim against the current of the majority. And this is what's happening to Paul. Just, I mean, he knows he's supposed to go, but the Lord, he's perceiving, we better not go now. This is foolish. But the majority says, the majority report comes in, and they move on. And this violent wind comes, and they're lost at sea. And they're floating around out here. And as you read the story, it says, for days the sun didn't shine, the stars didn't shine. The winds just blew. They pulled up anchor. They took down sails. They couldn't fight it, and they just let it go. And we know that somewhere around 14, 15 days passed. And they finally come to shore. They think there's land. And at this time, the sailors are trying to abandon ship with the little boat that they, they had on board. They're trying to abandon ship. Paul tells the centurion, if any of them leave, we're dying. So he prevents it. They see the reef coming. The ship is going to crash. The guards, the soldiers, we've got to kill the prisoners because we can't let them escape. I mean, how many things can go wrong for poor Paul? The centurion steps in again, and to save Paul's life, none of the prisoners are killed. And all this is taking place. And it says, when all hope was abandoned that they would live. When all hope was abandoned. Here's what happens. In Acts chapter 27, verse 22, Yet now I urge you, Paul speaking, keep your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God came to me and spoke to me. The God whom I belong to and whom I have served stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. You're going to Rome. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you, Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that he will turn out, it will turn out exactly as I've been told. Sounds good. I want you to notice the way it's written. I believe God. Not I believe in God. Even the devils and the demons believe in God. Sometimes we say we believe God. Do we believe what he says? Do we believe him in him or, or do we believe what he says? How do we live our lives? You want to quickly quiz yourself? I believe God, Paul says, and it's going to turn out just like he says. We have the Word of God, and it tells you what's going to happen when we live and behave a certain way. Do we believe what God says? If we do, it will affect the way we live our lives. We will live differently as Christians than we did before we were Christians. I think there's a lot of times, a lot of us Christians say we believe in God, but I don't believe what He says. And then we wonder why all hell breaks loose in our lives. Well, I can tell you why. Because He told you it would. 
Paul says, I believe God, and it's going to turn out exactly like he says it's going to turn out, and we're going to all be fine. But then it finishes with a but. But the ship's going to crash and be destroyed. And if I'm Paul, I'm going, oh, great. Serving the Lord. Everything goes smoothly, doesn't it? Serving the Lord. Nothing but fun. No. When we serve the Lord, we will face persecution. It's guaranteed by God. We will face difficulties and challenges. It's guaranteed. But he is faithful. Paul has a faith that overcomes. His faith will not be shipwrecked even though the ship is shipwrecked. He believes God. Fourteen days, it says they're out there. They land on the island called Malta. And, and it's just such an interesting story. There's natives there. The word means barbarians. And it says they welcome us. A snake, they're building a fire to warm up. They're all wet. Everybody, it even says, I think it was 276 people on board the ship. Every single one makes it, just like God said. They're building a fire to get warm, and he reaches for a piece of wood, and the snake latches onto him and biting him, and all the, all the natives look at that and say, oh, this guy's a murderer. He deserves to die. Look at this. He just shakes the snake off and goes about his business, and now they go, maybe he's not a murderer. Maybe he's God. And then it tells us in the story that the leading man of the whole island's father's sick. Paul lays hands on him and prays for him, and he's healed and cured. And then it says everybody on the whole island who was sick came to him, and he would, they were all cured, all healed. doesn't tell us exactly, but I kind of think revival probably broke out. I think the message was probably received pretty well. I think God had a reason for him to be on Malta. And then finally, finally, After staying on Malta for three months, they head to Rome. And the rest of the trip is relatively uneventful. And it says they arrived in Rome, and in Acts 28, verse 30, it says, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all interests, unhindered. As interesting as the story about Paul is, I hope we understand and take some of the things that, that we can learn from in Paul's life. The Word of God tells us that it's all written for our benefit. I think there's at least, well, at least, there's a bunch. I picked five things that we can learn from Paul's obedience to his calling. First of all, things will not always go smoothly. When God calls you to something, Don't expect it to go smoothly. Too often we feel God calls us to something, we run into the first bumps, the first hurdles, the first twists and turns, and we say, oh, must have missed God, and we back off. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Second thing we can learn from this is not everyone's going to understand and encourage you. It's not going to happen. The well-intentioned people, people who love you, may not understand and may not encourage you. Third thing, we really need to know God's will for ourselves. It's great to have someone have a word for us, come with an exhortation or encourage us, but we need to hear with our spiritual ears from the Lord ourselves. We need to know what the Lord is saying to us. What is he asking of us? What is he telling us? Others may interpret God's word from a a human perspective. And it would be natural. We need to hear Ourself. And the best way to hear from the Lord, everybody always wants to say, how do you hear from the Lord, Mike? Uh, this is really spiritual. Write this down. I'll tell you how to hear from the Lord most of the time. Read the book. 
You want to hear from the Lord, read the book. Give the Holy Spirit material to speak to you about. Sometimes he will just speak to you out of the blue. Boy, that's cool. I guarantee he will speak to you if you read the book. Fourth thing I learned, God will use, we need to remember that God will use what the enemy, the enemy intends to use to shipwreck our faith. God will use what the enemy intends to use to shipwreck our faith for his glory. We need to have a faith that overcomes. We need to have a confidence. Not in Mike, not in yourself, not in me. Boy, goodness, we'll mess it up. My faith is in the Word of God and it's in Him. It's in the Holy Spirit. It's in God the Father. My faith is in Him. If He says it, Paul, you're going to Rome. Guess what? No matter what happens, He's going to Rome. I've got work for you to do. Yeah, but Lord, look at the skies. We haven't seen the sun for days. We don't see the stars at night. The ship is not being controlled by anybody but the wind. Don't worry about it, Paul. I got a plan. I got a healing ministry on a little island of a bunch of natives that don't know Jesus. Your ship's going to crash there. Everybody's going to live. And the word of God is going to go forth. But you're still going to go to Rome. We don't know. We don't know. And the last thing I have written down is we are called to serve the message and witness to what we know to be true. If you've been saved, you have a testimony. Your testimony is different than my testimony. But God has done something in all of our lives when we get saved. We need to share the message of Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, witness to what we know to be true. You have a testimony. And it's powerful. We need to do both. I closed my notes, and it's not on the slide. And it's going a little long here, but I want to encourage you to read Philippians 3. Paul wrote this letter. A couple of my favorite verses are Philippians 3, 13, 14. And, but if you read from verses 10 or 7 to 21, but a couple of the key things there is, you know what? I'm going to keep my eye on the prize of that upward call of God. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to serve him. Paul lived it. He didn't just write it. He lived it. And he wrote this to the Philippians. And to me, it's such an encouragement. In verses 13 and 14, that's all I'll read. Brothers, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forget what lies behind, and I'm going to reach forward, I'm going to go forward to what lies ahead, and I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that that would be our heart, that you would, you would put in us the grace and the faith to walk out the call on each one of our lives the destinies that you have before us, God, that we would keep our eye on you no matter what storms come. Father, no matter what the enemy might throw at us, God, we would remember the truth that we are children of the Most High God, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, knowing that your word is true and you are faithful to your word. God, and that you love us unconditionally and you have a plan for our lives. God, I pray that you would Give us the hearts of servants to serve that message. Give us the boldness and the love to share our witness and testimony. 
God, I pray that you would use all of these things for your glory and your honor. And it's your son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.